0: Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on September 27th, 2021 from my home studio here in Columbia. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. This episode features advice from one powerful South Carolina Senate Republican on how school districts can get around the state mask mandate prohibition, which is still in effect. We hear from a veteran of the war in Afghanistan following the United States' pullout from the country after 20 years. The Fed is set to start tapering its $10 billion bond buying program in November, and interest rates could soon rise next year. Meanwhile, we hear from SC Housing about its massive multi-million dollar rental and utility assistance program in the state. And Assistant State Epidemiologist Dr. Jane Kelly tells us about the potential for another surge, even though our case rates continue to fall. Additionally, we wanna hear your stories, so we set up a voicemail box to hear from you all about your life in these uncertain times. Leave us a one to three minute long voicemail at 803-563-7169. If you're a first-time caller, long-time listener, or long-time listener, several-time caller, we want to hear from you guys. Let us know. Keep us updated. It's almost October. Oof, what a year. Scary, spooky. October's here. 803-563-7169. Now for the latest in South Carolina. Currently, the spread of COVID-19 is widespread, ongoing, and not contained according to data from the Department of Health and Environmental Control. There have been 12,213 total deaths, and currently there are 850,188 total cases being reported in all 46 counties as of September 27th at 4 p.m. Our current percent positive rate is 8.3%. Right now, 2,061 people are hospitalized with COVID-19, 556 are in intensive care, and 391 are in ventilators. All of these data points are down week over week, including new hospital admissions. Currently, 24 children are hospitalized with COVID-19, six are in intensive care, and four are on ventilators. All of them are unvaccinated. And currently, 51.7% of eligible South Carolinians have been fully vaccinated. And some more data for you. The week ending September 25th marked our third week of declining cases from our peak of just over 39,000 in a week at the beginning of September. Last week, there were 19,543 cases reported and 170 deaths. For the week prior, 428 deaths were reported, the highest weekly count in this third surge. Late last week, Senate Education Committee Chairman Greg Hembry of Horry County penned an op-ed in the state newspaper that outlined how school districts could get around the budget proviso that prevents districts from using state dollars to impose a mask mandate. He wrote in part, School boards have the money to carry out a mask mandate, and school boards have the legal authority to impose mask mandates and avoid violating state law. He continued to say to impose a mask mandate merely requires the will of the local school board. Then Henry went on to outline how boards can do this, including passing a resolution saying clearly that no state money will be used. Then the district uses federal COVID relief money to hire one or more temporary employees, think retired first responders, and designate them public health enforcement officers. And their duties could include producing and distributing announcements to parents, producing and distributing signage in schools, and patrolling the schools and providing masks to violators of the policy. The Charleston County School District Board recently voted to implement a school mask mandate for its 49,000-plus students that took effect last week. Governor Henry McMaster wrote to the board expressing his frustration that school resource officers were being used to enforce the mask mandate, which some parents protested. Andy Pruitt, a spokesman for the district, told Live 5 News that, quote, Our district has not asked any of the school resource officers who serve in our schools nor any of our law enforcement partners to enforce the board's mask requirement, quote. Moving on. It's been several weeks since the world was rocked by the images of Afghanis trying to escape the capital of Kabul after it had just fallen to the Taliban after 20 years of war, engagement, and nation-building attempts by the United States. It was emotional for not only those on the ground fleeing Afghanistan, but the thousands of veterans watching from home. South Carolina Public Radio's Victoria Hansen has this report.
1: As the faces of terrified Afghans desperate to escape their fallen country appeared on television around the world... Voices of American servicemen and women began to emerge, sharing their efforts, past and present, to help a nation in turmoil.
2: It's a personal mission to go to Afghanistan and do what we do, and, and a lot of us you know, embrace that.
1: Major Phil Compton is an Air Force flight commander for a civil engineer squadron. He led support operations at Joint Base Charleston, deploying thousands to secure the airport in Kabul then welcoming Afghan refugees as they arrived in America. He calls the mission a culmination of his work in Afghanistan, speaking from New Jersey as he greets refugees in Dari.
3: We say, uh, rose by Zendigi, now Jormesha. Day by day, a new life, you know, it will be made.
1: He's been deployed twice, first to help Afghans build their own defenses, then to train others advising Afghans about their unique culture and language. The major worked closely with translators like Zamsa Masafi, who nearly escaped as Kabul fell. She knows firsthand the violence of the Taliban, sharing her story with NPRs here and now.
4: They tortured me, they raped me very badly, and I was begging them to let me to go home.
1: Safi was 15 at the time. Major Compton says she represents the resilience of Afghans. He's the grandson of Mexican immigrants and has been inspired by the experience.
2: Their life has you know, significantly changed. They're two pieces of luggage, but they're, they're here for their, their family's future, and there's a lot of hope in their eyes for it.
1: While Compton focuses on hope, many Americans struggle to understand the 20-year war. What did it accomplish if the Taliban could quickly regain control and at what cost?
5: So all those, all those years of money and, and sacrifice by the American people were literally in vain.
1: Gerald Malley says he was deployed in 2002 as a civil affairs sergeant in the Army.
5: If you want to explain Afghanistan, just look at Vietnam. It's just a
1: mirror image. The 77-year-old says leaders in both wars offered no vision of what victory looked like. And he says the United States has no business imposing its values on others.
5: Who are we to tell them they need to have democracy? They were fighting and killing each other for the last thousand years. I think that everyone has their own individual story to tell. And it's based on these local things that aren't necessarily replicated elsewhere.
1: Citadel professor Dr. Jacob Hagstrom was deployed too in 2011. He's learning much of politics is local as he pieces together the stories of Afghanistan veterans and leaders in an oral history project. He says Americans there after 2014 were likely aware deals were being made between the Taliban and Afghan elders, but they weren't privy to those agreements.
5: And so a lot of this political situation is behind the scenes, even for the Americans who were there, let
1: alone the American public. He says that's why partnerships are critical, to overcome barriers in language, culture, and history.
5: If people in the United States had understood the history of Afghanistan from the beginning, I think we would have been a lot more wary.
1: For us, the mission to find those responsible for September 11th and prevent future terrorist attacks was the beginning of a 20-year war. But for Afghanistan, it was another battle in an existing generational civil war.
0: Thanks, Victoria. You can find that story and more original reporting on SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And on our way out, this Monday I was in North Charleston to cover an infrastructure roundtable with Senator Lindsey Graham, SCDOT Secretary Christy Hall, and leaders from the Tri-County area. I'll have more coverage on that meeting this Saturday, as well as a recap of what, if any action, takes place this week on infrastructure spending as Congress faces the bipartisan $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, President Joe Biden's $3.5 trillion spending package, which has Republicans and many Democrats divided, as well as how lawmakers will keep the country going amid a showdown over spending and the need to raise the debt ceiling. What a week in Washington, folks. The Federal Open Market Committee said last week that it will continue to hold interest rates near zero and continue its bond buying program. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell said on September 22nd that after 18 months of these policies used to help stabilize the economy and encourage borrowing and spending during the pandemic, they will remain until they reach goals like maximizing employment and could soon start tapering the $10 billion in monthly bond buying in November, as well as move interest rates sometime next year to help counteract inflation, since price stability is another goal of the Fed's. Here's Chairman Powell.
5: They helped preserve financial stability and market functioning early in the pandemic, and since then have helped foster accommodative financial conditions to support the economy. At our meeting that concluded earlier today, the committee continued to discuss the progress made toward our goals since the committee adopted its asset purchase guidance last December. December. Since then, the economy has made progress toward these goals. If progress continues broadly as expected, the Committee judges that a moderation in the pace of asset purchases may soon be warranted. We also discussed the appropriate pace of tapering asset purchases once economic conditions satisfy the criterion laid out in the Committee's guidance. While no decisions were made, participants generally view that, so long as the recovery remains on track, a gradual tapering process that concludes around the middle of next year is likely to be appropriate. Even after our balance sheet stops ex- expanding, our elevated holdings of longer term securities will continue to support accommodative financial conditions.
0: Let's look at some more federal news. It's been more than a month since the federal eviction moratorium that was in place throughout the pandemic was lifted. The move could jeopardize the housing situation for tens of thousands of South Carolinians who are behind on rent. But millions in federal rental assistance continues to roll out in the state through the SC State Plus program, which is administered by SC Housing in 39 counties as well as other programs and seven others. SC Housing Communications Director Chris Winston spoke to me about this program on This Week in South Carolina, following the first program that rolled out earlier this year.
2: We've really been working uh, hard in the last uh, few months to to help thousands of people stay safely in their homes. Uh, Since the eviction moratorium ended a few weeks ago, uh, due to uh, uh, action by the Supreme Court, we've seen more than 8,000 applications come in. Mm. So it's definitely increased the urgency just recently and uh, we're working feverishly right now to get as many people assistance as possible uh, so they don't uh, get displaced from their homes. Well, and Chris, kind of tell us who can qualify for this
0: program. Is it based on income? Is it based on status? Uh, what what are the qualifications here?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you just need to live in one of 39 South Carolina counties. People who live in Anderson, Greenville, Spartanburg, Richland, Horry, Charleston, and Berkeley have their own programs. Okay. And you can find information about their programs also on schousing.com. But if you're in one of the other 39 counties, some very large counties, Beaufort, Lexington, York, et cetera, uh, we can uh, assist. You have to be a renter. So you have to show that you have some sort of rental arrangement. And a lot of people don't have formal leases. Hmm. But you have to show that you've been paying someone at some point to live in a residence. And then we have an income validation that we ask you to, to verify that you're making less than 80% of the area median income. Uh, there's a chart. Every county has its own numbers based on your household size, based on where you live. So there is an income piece. But if you're a renter, uh, if you've lost your work or been unemployed over the last uh, the last 18 months, then uh, you quite probably qualify. And we encourage everybody to come to schousing.com and, and look to see if uh, we can provide assistance if you're behind on your rent.
0: And then, Chris, kind of, you were talking about just how big of this this program is. Uh, Congress approved forty-six point five billion dollars in emergency rental assistance. Uh, only five point one billion dollars in aid has gone up. by the end of last month. Uh, Nineteen million of the two hundred seventy-two million that came to the state of South Carolina has gone out. Um, it took a long time to get that money out the door, too. I mean, even by June, only thirty-six thousand dollars has gone out. You had that other program right. going. Why, tell us a little bit why it took so long to get this money really rolling.
2: Yeah, so uh, South Carolina Housing was named the administrator of the program on April 16th. Government Master signed Act 17 to name us the administrator. We launched our program uh, three weeks later, the first week of May. And we tried to follow very strict guidelines to ensure that just the people who needed help received assistance. And so we initially asked for five or six different pieces of information from, uh, from applicants. And what we realized at the end of June is that uh, people were struggling to come up with all five of those pieces of documentation. Treasury, uh, at the same time, uh, luckily for us on June 24th, I believe it was, uh, issued new guidance encouraging states, encouraging municipalities to get funding out and be more relaxed in their documentation. So by early July, we started changing. We allow more self-attestation for if you're housing insecure, if you're at risk of eviction, we allow self-attestation for Uh, if you've been impacted financially by COVID. And then what we did was we identified 196 zip codes where uh, we're allowing you to self-attest to that income requirement because the average rents and the average uh, incomes in those areas uh, mean you overwhelmingly probably qualify for the program. So rather than you having to provide documentation, uh, we're allowing you to self-attest. And so we're really seeing the... um, the, the doors open at the urging of uh, representatives, state government, federal government, the Biden administration, to get more support out to uh, out to residents. I, I've seen some figures.
0: I wonder if you can maybe enlighten us with some numbers and what we're seeing in terms of people who could possibly be evicted, especially since, like you said, that moratorium for uh, evictions was lifted at the end of August there.
2: Yeah, I think when you look at census data, fault survey, you know, it's a very small number, but if you extrapolate that out, there have been any number a range from say, uh, 80,000 to 150,000 households in South Carolina uh, at risk of eviction during this time period. People who reported to the census that um, they were unsure that they would be able to make their net rental payment. Wow. So you look at that kind of number, I think we've seen uh, between 20 and 30,000 applicants come to our program. I uh, don't know the exact numbers, but you've seen thousands of applicants also come in through those seven uh, large county government programs as well. So I think what you're probably seeing is probably on uh, in that scale of 80 to 100 and some thousand, 120, 140,000 who are behind on rent, who are now worried about being evicted or being displaced. And uh, those are the uh, those are our neighbors and those are our friends and those are our relatives trying to help as many of as possible right now.
0: And are landlords reaching out to you, too, or is this primarily driven by tenants? I mean, I would assume since they might maybe they know more about what's going on with this always being in the news and such that they want to
2: prevent evicting
0: someone, too, if they can get some of this assistance.
2: Yeah, we've seen tremendous uh, support and partnership uh, help with folks like South Carolina Realtors Association and landlord groups and property, group, property management groups. Uh, we have an uh, opportunity on our website for our landlords to recommend to their tenants the program they can come in and start putting their own landlord information in, and then that generates emails and information out to tenants to apply. We've seen a lot of them really support their tenants come in and help with paperwork, help with documentation. Uh, like you said, it's A, to keep from evicting a lot of our property managers and landlords don't wanna do, mm-hmm. and B, it's an opportunity for them to catch up on funds that they've had to go without for the last 18 months, in some cases, because of the different eviction moratoria that have been in place. Just recently, we've, um, we've signed some deals with some uh, nonprofit organizations, community groups, and here in the next couple of weeks, we'll be announcing a lot more opportunities for in-person applicant support so that people across the state, especially in rural areas, especially where people might be challenged mm-hmm. with technology or online applications, can get support where they live. And uh, we're following the example of some of the great counties like uh, we've seen Charleston uh, and, and Richland have done a great job of getting not only the word out about the program, but obviously assisting applicants.
0: That's an important program right now in the state as thousands are still struggling with rent and utility assistance needs. Thanks again for Chris Winston. You can find more details at schousing.com and you can watch that full interview on youtube.com slash South Carolina ETV. While the number of new COVID cases continues to decline in the state, our vaccination rate is slowly increasing as well, and more folks who are eligible are getting a booster shot too. Despite all of this, DHEC's Dr. Jane Kelly, she's the state's assistant epidemiologist, said she's not entirely confident that we've turned a corner and that there could be another surge during the coming colder months if people let their guard down. Here she is on a media call last
3: Wednesday. Well, of course, it's difficult to say. But until we have more people vaccinated, South Carolina is still at high risk of continued high numbers of new cases. We urge everyone who's still unvaccinated to get their COVID-19 vaccine as soon as possible, before the holidays. Even if you had COVID infection in the past, you know, you can strengthen your immunity with vaccine. There are studies in the US and those studies out of Israel that have shown that if you had prior COVID, you can cut your chances of reinfection in half with vaccination.
0: There are still a lot of unknowns when it comes to enforcing the federal government's directive to have employees at businesses with more than 100 employees to be either fully vaccinated or tested every week. But Dr. Kelly said DHEC is ready once those enforcement guidelines are solidified.
3: We're awaiting additional federal guidance to help us understand exactly how the vaccination requirement will be managed at the state and individual employer level. There are currently 1,082 providers in South Carolina able to provide COVID 19 vaccine, and there is plentiful vaccine supply to match any increase in demand for a potential vaccine requirement. There does exist the potential for significantly increased testing volume as a result of this type of requirement, and DHEC is working to develop plans that are going to meet that demand with available resources and testing vendors.
0: And Dr. Kelly clarifies something we've discussed on the pod a while back, and that's when it comes to reporting COVID deaths. As you'll hear, hospitals don't get a higher reimbursement if someone dies from COVID while in their care. And thus, there is no reason to believe that the more than 12,000 COVID deaths in our state have been inflated.
3: Providers can get additional reimbursement through Medicare as that was a component of the CARES Act that was passed by Congress and signed by the President as a partial offset for all the extra costs that are incurred in taking care of a COVID patient. Think about all the additional costs for the, um, uh, the types of PPE, personal protective equipment, that are used. Hospitals are paid higher Medicare rates for COVID patients and their treatment, but I am not aware of any evidence for fraudulent reporting. You know, it's important to remember that DHEC doesn't determine the cause of the death and the hospital itself doesn't determine a cause of death. We are record keepers for death certificates as they're completed and filed by coroners or by medical physicians who certify, who determine whether an individual's cause of death was COVID related or not. So we compare the information about the death of a COVID patient that was initially reported to us to the information recorded on that individual's death certificate. And if we notice any discrepancies, we reach out to the coroner or medical certifier to point out the discrepancy in that information we have about the individual's death. So again, just to be clear, it's coroners and medical certifiers who determine a person's cause of death, and they use specific guidelines from CDC for how to determine that cause of death. We have no evidence for fraudulent reporting from hospitals.
0: Some good information there from Dr. Jane Kelly with DHEC. I also just want to reiterate the previous reporting we had on booster shots. Here are the four groups eligible for Pfizer boosters if it's been six months after their first shot. People 65 years and older and residents in long-term care should receive a Pfizer booster as well as those 50 to 64 years old with underlying medical conditions. People aged 18 to 49 years old with underlying medical conditions may receive a booster shot as well as people aged 18 to 64 years who are at increased risk for COVID-19 exposure and transmission because of occupational or institutional settings. If you have questions about that, talk to your doctor or you can call DHEC's CareLine at 1-855-472-3432. That's DHEC's CareLine at 1-855-472-3432. That's 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. on weekdays. You can reach DHEC. Welcome to our wind down section. You know what it is. It's our little break from the news. Even though sometimes we end up talking about the news. That's besides the point. We want to talk to you about what's going on in your world. Tell us how you're doing with life during the pandemic. Uh, Numbers are going down. How are you doing? You still wearing your mask out there? Avoiding crowds? Fist bumping? Let us know. 803-563-7169. I'm still having awkward handshake moments. I will say this right now. I had an awkward handshake, fist bump... Were you
6: awkward beforehand? Oh, did I'm you did you not awkward. know how yeah. to do it? I don't you know didn't how know to...
0: how to do this? Sometimes I uh, I think I saw Michael Kasky at the gym the other day and I, like I punched his hand instead of like fist bumped mm. it. I was like, oh, I'm yeah. Sorry well, about you
6: gotta assert your dominance in a in a scenario like that because he was he was and probably, probably throwing buster.
0: mad plates and you were throwing up plates. Yes. And so yeah, it I get just, it. yeah. I but get uh it. it there's life is full of those wonderful little awkward moments. But then you have a mask, so you're not like you're no you're not too awkward because your face isn't yeah. going everywhere. But anyway. Before that's why before the pandemic you were a major hugger, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, look not just like a quick <laughs> half half hug, you know, a no, a full blown Yeah. You know, some, you're sometimes people will get emotional at the end. you are really on. reached a oh, lot of yeah. places. With you people. give good hugs
6: and and you bring people to tears. Sh- 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 yeah. sh- sh-
0: sh- sh- yeah. It's okay. You're it's okay.
6: A, you're a Da Vinci mm-hmm. of uh, of hugging.
0: Yeah, that's why I really it's really taken a toll. But uh, At, you told me <laughs> earlier that we have a, a nice long voicemail from a first time yes, caller. Yes,
6: I've been I've been teasing this about uh, we've been playing some shorter ones and this isn't as long of an episode, so we are gonna play one of these longer. There, it's 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 less a voicemail as it is like a dispatch slice of life and oh, how great. people are doing. And it, it, this is a twofer. I mean, a twofer in terms of uh topic. She double dips on this topic. So Wonderful. here we go.
4: Hey there. Uh, so I have a pretty unique experience right now. Um, I'm actually in the States for the first time in two years. Um, thankfully vaccinated. Uh, I'm, I moved to New York about two years ago after college. I went to winter coming back and just seeing everything and how, you know, so much is the same, but the more things stay the same, the more they change at the same time, you know, it's kind of a reverse sometimes, too. I came down to see a lot of folks that I haven't seen in a while, you know, friends and family, and um, I had some time off of work, and it's just kind of wild coming from New York State to one of the, you know, highest transmission places in the country, you know, and seeing so many people just not wear masks and everything like that, like, I mean... In New York, a lot of people don't wear masks, I'm upstate anyway. But at the same time, you know, there, there's a lot more, you know, rationality and sensibility about it, partially because, thank God, the state has actual, like, decent guidelines for the most part. And up there, you know, even though I'm vaccinated occasionally, i also still wear a mask. But it's so wild to see and just bare faces everywhere, um, you know, outside of doctor's offices and things like that. I, I realize I'm also calling on 911. 20th anniversary. I mentioned that, you know, I went to Winthrop. I was a history political science double major. I'm looking to get into, you know, grad school for international law affairs, you know, either going for master's or, you know, going for a PhD. And it's, it's kind of wild seeing how much of our, you know, political landscape was has been shaped by, you know, the events of 20 years ago now. I'm 24. I was, like, barely a toddler when all that went down. It's, it's kind of wild the fact that my entire life experience is so much different from people who were born you know slightly before me and my entire formative years you know understanding international affairs and you know political movements and things like that I fundamentally rooted in that whereas other people had you know a pre 9-11 experience of the United States you know it, it's, it's kind of like I, I would imagine the difference between state of the, the United States before the end of the Cold War and then after. And so yeah, I kind of think, I'd imagine it's similar to that. And I think, you know, we might be hitting another stricture here where the, you know, maybe a new change in the dynamics where the United States is, you know, not only is the Cold War over, not only have we been going through, you know, non-state conflicts, but we've also been seeing, you know, the fact that the United States has kind of turned into... Maybe not, you know, going away from being a global power, but it's not the lone superpower anymore. I know there's been kind of a dynamic for decades now, but it's especially becoming apparent now where, you know, there's this imperial fatigue going on. That's just kind of what I've been thinking about. Um, this has been, this has been Josie. Been calling you, you know, on the road. I'm always excited to, you know, be back in the old home state. All right. Thank you all. And you all have a good one now.
0: Well, welcome back to South Carolina, Josie. I don't know if you're still here. I know you called the 911, so she's probably back up in New York. But regardless, it was great to get your perspective on how the state has been shaping up. If you haven't been back in a while, I know just even when I visit places around the state that I haven't been to in a couple months, uh, it's it's kind of jarring. Like I was just up in Greenville the other week. I was like, Jesus, this place has been growing leaps and bounds. You know, you, you go downtown, and it's, I, just, it's, it's it keeps just evolving. So yep. I definitely try to get to different parts of the state. Very often, just so I can keep one up day, with things, one too. One day, Columbia will be like that. Come on. Come oh, on I Columbia. mean, yeah, there's been a lot of changes, especially when we're talking about luxury student housing, AT. <laughs> yeah, and we have we also have so many new car washes, too. Oh, Thank yeah, yeah. goodness. That's Thank true. Goodness. Yeah, so if, yeah, if, if you made it through Columbia, I'm sure that those are the things that stood out to you. But, I mean, there have been some <laughs> places. Oh, yeah, I know. In uh, different breweries, of course. But very good to get from you. And, of course, um, the uh, interesting input there on... You know, life after 9-11, of course, being younger than yeah. us, it sure did change a lot, for sure, I can tell you that. Even ties into our Afghanistan reporting from earlier. Of course, too. yeah, yeah, right there. So thanks again, Josie, for calling and listening. Now, AT, um, you said you had a, a few things to talk about, so I'm going to go ahead and <laughs> let you go ahead, uh, you know, just update. The moths are still out of my house. Everything's safe here. Thank yeah. you, everyone, for the support and kind words, though no one has said anything. No one cares. Yeah, no one cares. I'm about surviving your moth. the moth infestation, 2021.
6: <laughs> I'm a moth. You are you are suffering in silence, <laughs> mothman. You know? prophecies. Um, it's true. It it was prophesized. It was true. But I had I had a uh, wild. A wild weekend, uh, some major jigsaw up puzzles and, and made down. I I didn't do a single puzzle. My wife, she's the puzzler. Caitlin's, but puzzle Caitlin's the puzzle in the family. So I mean, the the worst part is I walked through some major spider webs this weekend, and it was traumatic. <laughs> you know, I hate that. and when I say when I say big spider webs, I'm talking foundational strands. Okay, oh. we're we're talking about ones that feel like. Like the light gauge lead for a oh, mechanical yeah. pencil. What? I did not I did it. I, I ran around scared and I, I had Caitlin check me for spiders. I was any spider? So. Okay. No. But for for such trauma as sure. that, a My major God. victory. Insects a major are coming victory for us. Yeah. in the Shire household. Ooh. Yeah. I did persevere through the spider webs. <laughs>
0: You're talking to a moth guy, man. Preach. It's I do guy, man. <laughs> Take a long I, drag off. You're talking to a moth guy.
6: <laughs> <laughs> I am a I'm a very proud husband today because oh. yesterday. My wife, yeah, she got her first pair of Crocs. I am ecstatic. I'm through the moon. That's
0: right. She got I'm, Crocs. That the noise you're hearing on my end, folks, is silence because I'm speechless. Uh, what? Yeah, she first, got her own sword, Crocs. and now yes. this. Yes, I'm terrified. Right. She's gonna
6: have her own sword. I'm soon. not gonna I'm recognize sure Caitlyn
0: anymore. It's just gonna be mm-hmm. AT two and I'll be like, who is this? <laughs> <laughs> what? What was? Uh, how did this? You Why? want to know the impetus of the Who? crocs? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all the above, uh, please. I'm just uh well. Shaking and stunned.
6: It, she you know, you know, Caitlin, she runs she runs a bar and a restaurant slash bar, mm-hmm. you know. So she's on her feet all the time. True. You know, just constantly on her feet. And recently she's been coming home and she's been uh, she was like, Man, my feet are killing me. Where are your crocs? Uh huh. <laughs> and she would wear my crocs, and I said, It's high time, babe. It's time. Did you buy her a pair you did your you buy, own or did crocs? she go pick her own out? We went, we picked her an Eagles green color pair of Crocs. That's that. That's I, that's she's beautiful. going to be mortified that I'm talking about this here too. It's great. Well, I mean, she's going to be wearing
0: them in public. She's got to get used to the attention.
6: Trust me. Because she she went to an outdoor uh, uh, beer industry thing at uh, the Columbia Fireflies yeah. Park. Mm-hmm. And there's apparently one uh, a wine distributor she works with is a huge listener to the pod. And she walked up to her, first thing she said, she goes, Hey, heard about the sword. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So I mean there are people that come up to her and, and yeah. Caitlin is she she says she Caitlin says she can't listen because she knows that I tell Parts of our, our actual lives and she, she lives and she hates that. Well, so. it's
0: good to know that she's not changing, you know, because she's getting these crocs knowing full well that you're gonna be talking about them on the air. So well,
6: I I bet that that was one of the reasons she didn't want to get them. But I I, I did she sort of force her, her hand. Yeah. But she's happy.
0: There's she's of, happy. A yeah. lot of feet issues in the Shire household. That's what I'm that's what I'm hearing.
6: I I am in a boot. Uh, <laughs> full disclosure, I'm in a boot. That's I wear boots. A, that a boot. that sign
0: you're hearing, folks, is at in a boot. That's a boot.
6: It's a thousand pounds, and I drag <laughs> it around the floor. But it feels it doesn't. My my ankle doesn't hurt after that.
0: Oh wow! So, so much going. Well, you know, I will say, um, you know, go nuts with the Crocs if you have to wear them to work. You know, like just like you no, know, some nurses do, some doctors do, some chefs. You know, people in food service. Of course, that makes sense. You're running around. Do what you need to do to be comfortable. It's I will make one. Of you. I will make one plea. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Please do not fly with Crocs on. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like or sweatpants or holding a pillow. Um, I have n- plenty of other things I could talk about with flight, but uh, I just I can't. I, the I shoes. Pack the cro- You're an expert right now because you you went World seven travel, yeah. straight
6: weekends of travel. I wasn't
0: flying every weekend, but I was definitely traveling. And I mean, I know but, comfort. You can, I, I know you can't put a price on comfort, folks. I get that. Yeah. I understand that. But there's. There are certain trade-offs when we come to comfort. <laughs> I always, I always pack
6: the Crocs because they're squishy. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. like they pack really well. You can yeah. shove them in there and they, they, they come
0: back out. So I well, mean, life hack. I mean, does this mean that I have to get a pair of Crocs now? I mean, I do love. I think Sliding so. shoes on, like I have drivers. I have. Yes. Uh, I have like um you know, these just like loafers. You know, I just I love that because I hate having you love socks on. That help. Mm-hmm. You know, I like having a little. It, I'll it, say, I could wear flip-flops every day, every day if I could, but I can't.
6: Sure, 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 sure. But is there I'll a tell professional
0: you, croc that I could maybe be interested in?
6: There are <laughs> great matte black crocs <laughs>
0: I can see you in right yeah, now. I'm, no, I'm uh, but
6: I, I will be honest that uh, the, the most cursed combination that mm. is the most comfortable, and I know that it's disgusting, but it is the most comfortable. Don't <laughs> knock it till you try it. Real Fast and Furious Guy Fieri argument here is that crocs with socks on <laughs> – are it's like walking on clouds. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, well, we're going to get people to weigh in on this for sure, and then maybe, yes. maybe for yes. Christmas, I might get a pair of Crocs from you. Right? Is that maybe. is that is that going to happen? I mean, I would probably wear them around the house. I don't know if I'd wear them out and about. They're great house shoes. That's what that's that's what it's for. That's yeah. what it's for.
6: I'll yeah. wear them in public because I have
0: no shame. But also with your uh, with your sock tan, your wild sock yeah. tan.
6: Yes, I am a Middle Eastern man, and you can tell because I have white, white feet and dark, dark tan calves.
0: <laughs> you just like you, – you do that on purpose. You do, you do it yourself. I think – you know what? I think you, you do, do it yourself. yourself. You know <laughs> Let us know your thoughts on Crocs, folks, um, footwear, etc. <laughs> by calling 803-563-7169. Uh, we love all the calls we get. We love hearing from you guys, and you can also show us your appreciation by leaving us a review on iTunes. Love that as well. And you can stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. We're talking corn the band, right? K backwards K-O-R-N, dollar and sign. Backwards R. You're showing uh, your ignorance, <laughs> <Yeah>. sir. <laughs> it's oh a backwards God. R. I, think, I guess I was thinking of
6: Slipknot. Mm, They have all straight letters also. So this is bad for you.